I think I would really encourage people if you're, if you're, if you're not really wanting to exercise, ask yourself why, like, well, mm. why? Because there's every excuse in the book, but I think it really comes down to like you, we were talking offline. Well, you can't afford it. It's like, can you afford not to, Yeah. you know, it's like, you can either invest in your health now, or you can pay to be sick later. Those are your two options in life. You nailed it. You nailed it with that one. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today we have a returning guest. His name is Robert Linkle. He's the owner of TOA or trainingtheolderadult.com, a personal training studio and online continuing education provider for fitness professionals. Linkle has his master's degree in personal training, is the NSCA's 2012 Personal Trainer of the Year Award winner, a 2017 NSCA Fellowship inductee, and was voted onto the 2021 NSCA Board of Directors for the personal training position. Robert, welcome back. It's always so great to connect with you. Good to see you too. How are you? Thank you for having me back. I'm good. Yeah, we had a nice little conversation offline before we got started. And uh, we're actually recording this a couple of weeks before Christmas. So kind of mm-hmm. caught up on on some family stuff. And we really wanted to revisit the conversation um, and dive a little bit deeper today into sarcopenia. And I know that you've been putting together some like online training stuff that I thought maybe would be cool to talk about because I know we have physical therapists that listen to this and personal trainers and just people in the healthcare field as well. So at some point you can talk about those, the TOA mini sessions. And let's go ahead and start just kind of what have you learned um, as you've been putting together these new sessions? Like what new information did you really want to share on the podcast today? Well, one thing I think last time I was on here with you, we talked about um, training frequency was a big one and how often people need to train. And I had had cited um, some research that was done, you know, in the 90s and then kind of repeated in 2000s and in the teens. And every time they repeat this research, it always kind of produces the same result, which basically came out to two days a week for a beginner with 48 to 72 hours of recovery in between each session was kind of ideal. And that after two months or so, you could go to three days. And what I kind of poo-pooed was the one day a week, okay? Now, my mindset was we have a sarcopenic window, which means your muscle, you do a workout and your muscle goes, oh, that was challenging and you, you kind of tore me up a little bit and I need to recover and I'm starting to get stronger. And after about three or four days, it needs that stimulus again. And if you go like four or five days and you don't give it to it, it starts to shrink and kind of go back to where it was. And then after six or seven days, it kind of starts to decrease. And then you go, well, now I'll work out again every Monday, right? Every seven days, you're basically kind of spinning your wheels. And as I dug deeper into that, because my dad does this with me, he trains just one day a week, every Wednesday I get him. And every single week he gets better. 
And I'm like, it's not supposed to be like this. Like this, this is not what the research says. Like it showed like a 7% increase. And I'm like, okay, like that's the whole, like something's better than nothing. But with a whole week in between, as I've kind of, to answer your question, what we found is that as people do their one day of lifting a week and they feel better, they're doing more. They're going out and they're walking they're being more active. Like they're doing more in their daily life. And that is creating a new stimulus. So my dad, per my mom and everybody else around him, they're like, we can't stop the guy. He's doing everything. He's pushing the grocery cart. He's carrying the groceries in. All the stuff that, you know, they had to do for him, he's now doing. So not only is he getting his one day of lifting with me, and every week it's a tiny bit harder, which he recognizes, right? He's like, oh, he's got a little something a little harder for me, and we keep pushing him. But he's doing more because he's capable. And so he's creating these other days. So I guess I would say is the one day a week, um, you know, isn't going to do a whole lot. You're spinning your wheels mentality isn't isn't exactly what I thought it was. It's actually a pretty good way to to produce. Now that, that doesn't mean that that's all we should do. The two days a week is still by far like triple better. So if you can do it and you're just starting to do that, but uh, one day a week definitely does have its benefits. Let's back up a little bit. Well, you just kind of define yeah, yeah. what hypoglycemia is. Um, yes. Yep. Sorry, I dive right in. Your first conversation. Yeah. Yeah, sarcopenia is, so there's two words that almost everybody knows, atrophy, which is a shrinking of a muscle. And then if you know the word sarcopenia, that's like severe atrophy, okay? So atrophy is, uh, we do bicep curls and our muscles kind of swell up and you feel pumped as the bodybuilders call it. And after a couple of hours, that blood kind of dissipates and the muscle kind of goes back to normal. And after two days, you're kind of back to normal. And so your muscle has shrunk down a little, but it's gone back to its normal size. Now, if you don't train it again a couple of days, the muscle fibers themselves start to decrease two to 5% after two, three, four, five days, something like that. Now you're atrophying. Okay. So you're not losing actual um, strength, but you're losing a little bit of size. And if you continue to not do anything, let's say you fell and broke your hip and you're just stuck in bed, after about seven to 10 days, now you're gonna actually lose your ability to lift the 15 pound dumbbell that you used to, now I can't. I could reach my arms over my head, now I can't. I used to be able to get up off the floor, now I can't, get out of the lazy chair, whatever it is. Those are lost abilities. And so you're now sarcopenic, like your muscle mass is not capable of doing what it once could. And after the age of about 30, we're on this decline where we're going to start getting weaker. But if you don't train at all, it's a plummet. Like you go downhill quick, a lot of diseases connected to this, very poor quality of life. Okay. But if you train, you can really taper that slow where it's just a little bit of loss every decade or so, rather than every three or four years of significant damage done decrease in, in uh, disease, potential for injury, fall, uh, high quality of life, cognitive stimulus, all of this. So um, with something as, as simple as a, you know, two or three 20 minute sessions a week, we can keep people away from becoming sarcopenic. Absolutely. And people on the podcast know that my passion is insulin resistance and reversing that. And muscle is a very big a place where glucose is deposited. And so the more muscle mass you have, the more insulin sensitivity you have, and it's just so beneficial for so many reasons. Um, but a reduction in insulin resistance is one of them, a higher, uh, higher functional ability and quality of life is in my opinion, the best one. So, um, I wanted to just start there, kind of get on the same playing field with what is sarcopenia and then a new term that people may not have heard about, we're going to cover a couple of new terms. If, you know, if people don't follow this kind of stuff, it might be new to you. So what is sarcobesity? 
Because that's another term that's coming up a little bit more. Absolutely. So maybe, I don't know, two years ago, I was listening to Dr. Peter Atiyah and he dropped that word and I went, oh, that's a cool word. And so I started to research it a little bit and it's actually become a bit of a thing now. So uh, an official medical terminology, meaning that you have sarcopenia, but you're also in the, the BMI classified category of obese uh, or morbidly obese. And those two correlate, uh, unfortunately, very well with a good chunk of our population. So um, they don't have a ton of research specific on these necessarily yet, but they've got some little ones that kind of trickle some information to us. So a study done in Brazil um, showed 40 to 65 year old females that about 7% of them had both sarcopenia and obesity. Uh, about 67% had sarcopenia and only 12% were normal. And so this was showcasing that we, we either have a body fat issue, a muscle mass issue, or we do have an issue with both. And the ones that had both really had poor quality of life and were much higher risk for disease, but had lack ability to, to be functional and like we're, we're doing way less in their day. So it's really kind of kind of come down to um, almost like a linchpin where if you are sarcopenic, okay, you have such poor muscle mass, you're not able to do much, then you're not going to move around a whole lot. And if you continue to consume your normal amount of food and calories or overeat, as a lot of Americans do, about 80% of us do, um, you're going to become overweight and then eventually obese. Okay. At the same time, and not to jump the shark here a little bit, but at the same time, um, if you're not resistance training and you're not building that muscle mass, the bones can start to soften. So a new term coming up is osteosarcobesity, which means I have soft bones, no muscle mass, and I'm overweight. And so what once was two years ago, the new key term of sarcobesity is actually now three big health concerns. And for Americans over the age of 80, a little, little over 70% um, are falling into this category, which is a very big chunk of our population. We're looking at a 114 million people, something like that, over the age of 50. Uh, and then you're looking at about 70 million or so that are over the age of 70, I think, somewhere in there. So we're looking at a big chunk of, chunk of people that have at least two of those health concerns, but if not all three. One thing that kind of caught my mind was that 12% statistic, because in a mm -hmm. different study that I know about, only 12% of adults in America are metabolically healthy. So oh, it's boy. interesting that we they independently came to that about 12% conclusion that like 12% have good body mass composition. Oh, also, they probably have good metabolic health. So there's probably some strong correlations there. Um, I think another thing is I was talking to a friend once and she was expressing concern to her doctor that, um, she had some weight that she wanted to lose. So I'm worried about my weight. I don't know how old she is, but, um, she's over 60 for sure. And okay. the doctor was like, Oh, it's okay. I like my women a little overweight at this age. Um, and so it's interesting because I think about the comparison between someone who, you know, has osteopenia or osteoporosis and is very frail. Mm -hmm. probably my grandma versus someone who has the osteosarcobesity. Wouldn't you think that the person with osteosarcobesity would be at a, a lower risk for fractures in the event of a fall simply because they have the cushion? I mean, there's some, there's some reasoning there, right? I, I think so. Um, 
I mean, it's kind of like uh, the kid in Christmas story wearing his suit, right? He can barely move when he's running around and when he falls down, he doesn't really get hurt. A little bit in that, that we do have more mass around the joints to support. Um, but the, the, the impact concussive uh, reverberation through the body, we, we've had individuals that take a violently quick step and break their ankle or break their knee because they, they didn't even fall down. They just had to move their leg really quick and they like they trip on a curb and throw their foot out in front of them and their ankle snaps. Yep. And you're like, your your bones are so brittle that just a violent movement can break. So, and, and we talked a little bit prior to coming on where you asked about, well, if you're a, a little bit overweight or if you're obese, you're carrying extra load. When your bones become more dense to that, yeah. if, if I were to go from 200 pounds to 250 pounds like that, right? then then my bones would be like holy cow what happened right they'd be bending under this load and they would have to respond but every year i add four pounds and the next year four pounds and so this gradual increase of me becoming obese and eventually morbidly obese my bones have had the opportunity to adapt to that load and then they go muscle where are you at to make us more dense you're still not here we'll get soft again and so it actually doesn't work that way that the less capable, less able, less mobile individual, as they add more body fat, not only are they losing muscle mass because they're not moving, their ability to move is being reduced. Yeah. And thus the bones aren't, aren't even capable of doing certain movement patterns, right? Their flexibility, their stability, their range, their power, their speed, all of this decreases. And then their bones aren't being used for that. So they get soft no matter what load of body fat they're carrying around. So to answer your question, I get on rants, I'm sorry. Yes, there is a little bit more cushion if you do fall where you may have a less chance, but there's still a pretty high risk. It's better to be a little bit more muscularly dense. So going back to the doctor's comment, um, to be a little bit older and have a little more body mass on a muscular end, good. Just carry extra body fat. I don't, I don't think we could agree at any age that's a good thing, young or old. If you're carrying extra body fat, okay, more than your range is declared, that's not very healthy. Now, um, everybody's body mass index, BMI, uh, these range, they don't take into a, a lot of account of what kind of genetic makeup you have or build you have. Um, so I am technically on the border of obese, morbidly obese, and I'm under, you know, 20, right around or under 20% body fat, which for my, my group is great. But because I'm a little more muscular and my frame's a little bit bigger, I fall into a 240 pound uh, weight class, I'm supposed to be 190. There's no way that's going to happen. I'd have to cut off a leg, right, to get down. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. So BMI can be a little tricky. So don't judge yourself too harshly on that. Um, but we, there's definitely healthy ranges of body fat that we carry. And we do get a little more lenient as you get older with that because your metabolism is slowing down. Work capacity is going to slow down a little bit. So um, I, I think there's some benefit to carrying a little extra mass, but I'd rather that be muscular mass, not, not fat mass. Yep. And just from a geriatric rehab standpoint, I kind of felt like the frail older women had an easier time recovering than the people with the osteosarcobesity, because mm -hmm. if you don't have all of that excess weight on you and you fracture a bone, it's easier to move. Like it's just straight up. Your rehab is a little bit better. If you can stay nourished, like that's the key. 100%. I think with those frail older women is keeping them fed with enough protein. 
um, to recover well. But just from a rehab standpoint, they usually have shorter rehab stays than someone who is also dealing with obesity and a fracture. And so. Anecdotally, I, I haven't seen research on anything like this, but anecdotally, individuals that I work with that are overweight or obese, their rehab's always a lot. It's it's a much harder process to get through because just manipulating and moving their body around is a struggle. Yeah. Um, but when you look at frail individuals, and our, that is a term our industry uses is the frail elder. So technically, we're looking at like 80s and up with a very low uh, muscle mass, but also a low body fat as well for their category. They're just very frail and they look like you could, you know, you could touch them and break them or hurt them. Uh, that kind of body is is going to be able to manipulate and move their body probably a little easier, but they're still lacking so much muscle that it's still going to be a struggle. But I agree with you. It's anecdotally, I've had a lot more success and a faster accelerated process of getting people stronger and kind of back into a healthier frame um, coming from an underweight and undermassed going up than, than the other way around for sure. I think just if someone's considering a joint replacement, that's something to really consider is some weight loss before the joint replacement can, can facilitate an easier recovery and better outcomes um, and a less risk of, you know, surgical adverse events like an infection, falls, that kind of thing. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more specifically about your training protocol for someone with sarcopenia. So you said that even with your dad, once a week is beneficial because, and I can see this too, like in my own dad, um, he has had both hips replaced. I think we were talking about that the last interview, he's going to PT and he, he's getting more daily movement in, you know? And sure. so I think that that's, that's an excellent point that even strength training one day a week, two days a week with a personal trainer can be beneficial. For sure. Yeah. The, um... The, we kind of look at daily life activities, okay? And and you have your ADLs, you have your, you know, dressing, toileting, you know, your, your moving about daily days, being able to, to, to do the basic things. And then we have daily life activities, which kind of include uh, up and down from stairs, up and down off the floor, uh, up and down from a parallel or below parallel chair, picking weights up off the ground, putting weights over your head, carrying weights across a distance. So these are kind of things that if you think about somebody going grocery shopping, bringing their groceries in and putting them away, kind of cover all of that, right? So when we look at a program for any 50 and older, but let's just say you're 50 and older and you have not trained before, what are the basic kind of movement patterns we want to address? I love learning how to deadlift, AKA hinge, right? Learning how to break at the hip and pick things up properly off the ground, how to get up out of a chair, that's a squat, how to pick up weights off the ground, that's a deadlift, how to hinge at the hip like you're bowing, that's an RDL Romanian deadlift or a hinge. All of this is really focused on your hip, your glute, your butt, your legs, basically what's going to propel you through life. So that one, on a daily basis, we want to address but specifically in every workout and almost with every workout, do that first because you're most fresh. And because that's the movement pattern, 100 plus times a day that the average person does during 16 wake hours of their life, averaging 14 hinges an hour or whatever that works out to, that is the most common movement pattern other than general locomotion, just moving our arms and, and limbs about. Um, we wanna train that hinge pattern the most and while we're fresh and with our best abilities. From there, rowing actions are kind of the second one we address. And any kind of row or pull, this could be horizontal pulling weight towards you or pulling weight from overhead down, okay, like a chin up, but using a pulley system, cables, et cetera, you can pull weight down. 
Those two are going to be posterior focus. They're going to encourage us not to round forward, let our head drop. That's going to be a big time posterior emphasis of keeping our shoulders broad, our chest up and our head upright. So we're fighting that lordotic curve, that thoracic, like that kyphotic position where gravity's winning. Okay. So rowing is a very strong and very close number two. After that, transition of load, carrying load from one place to the next. Um, farmer carries are really big. We have a weight in each hand and you carry them from one end of the gym to the next and you go until you just burn out until you can't do it anymore. I like the farmer carry, but I like the suitcase carry even better. Okay. You have one weight in one hand and nothing in the other. And the reason for that really interesting thing that I, I saw with my dad, if you don't mind me diving into this a little bit. I love it. No, I love it. Yeah. So my, my dad's gate, um, was, was, had this little hitch in the giddy up from where he broke his hip. Okay. And no matter what we did, with the exception of pushing the sled, I couldn't get him to take an even gait, okay? Just for easy math, let's call it two feet. He would take a two-foot step and a one-and-a-half, two-foot and a one-and-a-half, one one okay? And when I gave him a weight in each hand, he still did that same two, one-and-a-half, two, one-and-a-half. When we took one of the weights away, he went two by two by two by two. The counterweight allowed him to shift away and, and it evened his hip up and it was, he was able to kind of counterweight himself into a better position to train that proper uh, gait stride. And as we continued to do that, the practice of that with the load transitioned into his regular gait stride. And within two months, he now takes a two by two. He's actually two and a third, two and a third, like he's increasing his distance, but we got them even first and now we're starting to stride them out because he was like a little shuffler in the beginning. And then he started to extend, but he had this giddy up from this one weak hip. So if you think of it like a scale on a pulley, okay, he had this weak hip on his left side. And so I would have him carry weight in his right hand. And if the lat side didn't engage and really pull him upright into the right position, he would lose and fall over. So now he had a reason to really fight to hold himself upright that leveled his hips. And now his stride length could be where I wanted it. But if he had a weight in each hand, they just countered each other. Yeah, he had to hold it, but the other weight was keeping him upright, you know? So the suitcase carry was kind of just by dumb luck. I'm like, let's just put one down and see how you do. And it fixed it all of a sudden. I went, whoa, whoa, we're onto something. I didn't know why, but we were onto something. So we kept doing it. And now, I mean, he's almost autonomically when he just starts walking, it's almost out of sight. But if he's, if he's focused, it's gone. You know, when he's really practicing it, you don't see it anymore. So those three hinging. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I personally never thought I would see is my dad make this change. If you would have said like, pick a person in your life, that's going to make this 180 degree turn and become an ambassador for you. And, and I put up weekly videos of him every other week. You know, you can go on my Instagram and watch him from months ago to where he is now. He looks like a whole different person different energy, different confidence, just charging at the world. He calls himself steel legs. He's like, I got these steel legs. I can do anything. You know, I mean, it's so cool to see this change in him. And it, from, he gives me the credit. I'm like, hey, it's easy to say, go do this. You got to do the work. So I'll take 10%, but you got to put it in. You know, you got to, you got to do the work, man. You got to put in the time. So it's so cool to see him do this. And it's like, I want to document it. I want to share it with people. And those three things, the hinge pattern, pulling, and carrying. Those are the three that have done the most benefit for him. Now there's lots of other things you can do, but let's stick with those three. If you're just getting started, do those three in every workout that you do and give yourself every other day for sure. Like in the beginning, a Monday, Thursday split is fantastic. Just walk on all the other days. That's a great way to start. 
And then as you get better, do like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday split, and you can keep walking on the other days or golf or tennis or swimming or biking or whatever else that you like to do for activity. But if you build up to three days a week of, you know, 20 minutes plus, I would love more, but 20 minutes is a basic. And it doesn't have to be fancy. I know I'm tangenting again, but one last little stat here. I hope you don't mind. Um, one last little stat. They had this really great research project they did with, I, I might have spoken about this last time. Like We had that, that two weeks in March of 2020 where everybody had to stay in their rooms, right? And nobody could go out. And in this retirement community, uh, they would track these folks and they had their smart watches and they, how many calories they burned, their average step, all this. So they went from 6,000 steps on average a day to 1,500. So it was a 75% reduction. Um, within two weeks, everybody's strength, power, stability, everything had decreased between four and 8%. Okay. So they go, okay, we got to build everybody back. Let's see. We lost all this in two weeks. What can we do in two weeks to get them back? Zero improvement. What took six months to build with these people, they lost in two weeks. And in two weeks of trying to get it back, zero improvement. It took six months of training again to get back to where you were. So point number one is once you get yourself into shape, stay there. Just keep training. If you go on vacation, if you go on trips, if you're going, anything, wherever, and people, my clients are like, I'm going to go on vacation. I'll see you in two weeks. And I'm like, no, you won't. Like, get online. There's a, there's a weight room in your hotel, right? It's only three hours in Hawaii. You know, pop on at noon. That's fine. Like, let's do these workouts. You can't miss because they, you, you realize it when you, when you miss, you're gone for two weeks and come back. You're like, I feel so weak. My body hurts. It's because you're out of this routine. You built to fitness and now you're starting to become sarcopenic. You're starting to lose it. So once you build to this, keep it. Okay. Now with these folks, you're like, what were they doing? Were they doing all the Rob stuff? They were doing machines, a chest press machine, eight to 12 reps, a rowing machine, a leg press machine, and a pull down machine, four machines. They were done in 20 minutes. It wasn't anything, you know, super, super fancy. They had them go around a little circuit. And in six months, they built them back to where they were and capable and able and doing all their stuff. So my point is, is be consistent, but it doesn't have to be fancy. It could be really basic resistance training. Just lift, just move weight around. I don't care what it is, bands, kettlebells, dumbbells, machines, pulleys, whatever. Just move weights around for 20 minutes, two or three times a week. You're going to see huge improvements. Yeah, I think right before we got on this call, I was talking to a client and um, she was talking about how she was going to start going back to the gym in January. Um, and we're, we're recording on December 7th. And I said, well, why not now? And she's like, I don't know. It's just cold outside. And I was like, but you're going in the gym and it's warm in the gym. So how long are you really outside? And she's like, maybe three minutes. Yeah. And so I think that's really important to catch those thoughts that stop you from taking action and yeah. immediately change them. So it kind of is, you almost have to be like a little sleuth, like, well, why am I not exercising consistently and not view it as a problem, but, but view it as an opportunity to, um, expand your skills, you know? And I think that's a really important thing that we talked about. It's like your brain wants you to be comfortable. Your brain wants you to be lazy. Your brain does not want you to get uncomfortable and sore and go out of your way to go to the gym. Because your brain only works in the present moment. The subconscious brain that is driving your habits only works in the present moment. So you have to be present enough to your thoughts with your cognitive, you know, your cognitive brain, your conscious brain that makes these executive function decisions. You have to overcome that and start making decisions for future you 
not present you. So the only way to really overcome this, this apathy, this lack of motivation is I think to really think about what do I need in five years? What do I need in 10 years? And mm-hmm. be more committed to the person that you want to become than the person that you are today. I think that that is like, that's the uh, ultimate thing to do so right. because you will never, so right. ever, ever want to do this every day. I don't want to work out. And I've been working out since sixth grade. I don't, you know, like, however long that is. And I still like, I want to, but I don't want to at the same time. I want I to, but I'd rather yeah. stay warm and comfortable and cozy. And so you have to start to train your brain to not give in to the instant gratification to stay warm and comfortable and cozy. Like get out. I know that this is going to air like the first, uh, maybe like January 11th or something is when this one's going to air. So people's new year's resolutions are hot. Um, but do what you need to do to make your new exercise, um, program a habit. So what are some tips that you have to really help people be consistent with strength training? You, you great setup for this. So number one is, um, any excuses you have, you have to be an excuse killer. And so as soon as those creep into your mind, you nailed it, just done. We're done with that excuse. I want to stay comfy. It's cold outside. My shoes are wet. Like whatever the, whatever the excuse is, you got to just kill those excuses and be like, I got to do this because you know, the value of it. Uh, Dr. Atia had another line where he goes, if you want to be a badass at 60, you got to start training really well at 40. If you want to be a badass at 40, you got to start at 20. Like you can't just go like, I want to be awesome when I'm 80. I'll start when I'm 70 and I'll get there. You won't, man. You'll never get there. You'll, you'll make some improvement, but you're never going to be what you think you're going to be unless you start now. So you're right. It's, you've got to take that mindset of like, I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm not going to wait till the new year starts. I'm going to start now. Okay. And, and so that's number one. Number two is discomfort is what spurs change. Like finding your body, if your body is comfortable doing whatever it is, it's not going to change. So daily, whenever you're doing whatever your workout is, which tip number three is exercise in a way that you like. I like to walk and I like to carry weight. So I ruck. That's my ruck right there, my backpack, right? Or I wear a vest, right? I'll carry weights and I just go and walk. I have hip replacements, both of my hips. I've had back surgeries, hip surgeries. I've had, you name it, I've had it, right? I'm on my 17th surgery. And and so I found a way to exercise that I enjoy, that I look forward to, where I don't get up and go, oh, I have to go for a walk. I get to go, oh, where am I going today? Because I look forward to it and I enjoy it. But if you said, we're going to go for a run, I would be doing the, it's warm, it's cold, I want to stay, I don't want to go, I'd be making excuses, okay? So find what you like and then push yourself to a level that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is good uncomfortable, not pain. That's, that's damage, but getting to a point where you're uncomfortable, right? Where you're just like, I can't stay here forever, but I can for a little bit. That's where change is going to occur. And that's a big thing for us. Really funny. Um, quick story. My last surgery I had, I was having scar tissue removed from my side and I had lung cancer. So I had ribs removed and my lung taken out all this a decade ago. So still dealing with stuff with that. So I'm coming out of, of my groggy state. And the nurse is there, my wife's there, and she goes, do you, want, do you want some medicine? And I go, yes, I want medicine. And she goes, no, he said he wanted to do this you know, beforehand without the medicine. And I'm like, I'm uncomfortable. And my wife goes, discomfort is where change occurs. And I go, you can't use my lines against me. I start yelling and the whole room's like looking like, what is this guy talking about? And I'm like, she's using my lines against me. I was yelling, I was saying some weird stuff. But as soon as he, 
you, you have to think of that. Like that's where the change is going to occur is when you find the thing that's challenging you and that's making you a little uncomfortable. And that's when you'll go, okay, hey man, I can do a mile in 20 minutes because I've been pushing my pace. And then eventually all your miles are at 20 minutes. And you're like, can I do one at 1930? And so you push yourself a little bit, you make it a little uncomfortable. And next thing you know, all your miles are at 1930. Like that's how change occurs. And so you just keep baby stepping that until you're all of a sudden in really good shape. And then once you're there, you maintain it. You know, we don't always have to keep, we're not training you for a competition. You know, if you are, that's a different thing. But if like, I just want to get in good shape and not get hurt, there's a level of like, we're here and now let's just keep it, you know, and we'll find little challenges to do along the way. But those are the goals. Find something you like to do, kill your excuses and challenge yourself every day with whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You'll see good changes occur. I think even coming up with little rules for yourself. So my personal rule is never miss more than three days. So never, so I never go three days without exercising. And my, my real goal is to move my body at least 10 minutes a day. The, um, the floor is 10 minutes of stretching a day. Like that Mm -hmm. is my baseline, but my goal, my, my goal is 30 minutes, at least 30 minutes of movement a day. Um, And if I'm on vacation, if I'm doing something, if I'm really busy, it is no more than three days. So if I don't exercise for two days, you bet I'm exercising that third day. Um, Um, Oh, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Have you noticed though, if you do, do you get like grumpy, your body starts to like, do you notice the changes? Yeah. It's almost like my mood tells me that I need to exercise um, more than anything else because it is such a great stress relief for me. Um, And so I think I would really encourage people if you're, if you're, if you're not really wanting to exercise, ask yourself why, like, well, mm-hmm. why? because there's every excuse in the book, but I think it really comes down to like you, we were talking offline. Well, you can't afford it. It's like, can you afford not to, Yeah. you know, it's like, you can either invest in your health now, or you can pay to be sick later. Those are your two options in life. You nailed it. You nailed it with that one. I, yeah. I have many, many people come in and they're like, I have, kids and my parents are sick and I ha- I'm taking care of everyone else. And I'm like, how long are you going to be able to keep that up? If you're not going to take care of you, like that's going to go down real quick. The mental and physical stress. I saw something about the, the years of stress. What was it like a, a year of stress can reduce your quality of life by a decade or something, something that was like crazy where I was like, Whoa, you got to get stress out of your life as much as you can. And exercise is a great way to reduce your stress, you know? And, and as you said, you get to a point after two or three days where you're like, I need to go exercise. Now you're going, I want to go exercise as opposed to, I have to go exercise, right? Like you've made the switch because you see the quality. I always joke with people. I'm like, I know the secret. And they're like, what's the secret? I'm like, exercise is good for you. And they're like, yeah, that's not a secret. Everybody knows that. But I'm like, why doesn't everybody practice it then? You know, only 15% of our country exercises one, five, 15% of our, well, let me say this again. 15% of our country has a gym membership. So it's probably like seven to 10% of our country actually exercises, right? So with, if you're thinking of that few people, like, why doesn't everybody know the secret? Well, they all know it. You're just not doing something that you like yet. So if you can find some exercise that you like, then you want to go and exercise as opposed to, I have to go and do this. Because if someone was making me do stuff I didn't want to do, I wouldn't want to go either. I I wouldn't look forward to it. I wouldn't try very hard. But when you find that thing that you like and you want to do, it's a whole different ball game. I think it's also just interesting to assess someone's commitment level. Like I think everyone wants to be in shape. Everyone wants to exercise, but are you committed to it? And I think a great way to tell if you're committed to something is to do a time 
money and energy audit and mm. compare it to how much time you spend a day watching TV. So if you want to get in shape, if you want to be fit, Ooh. right? I mean, I'm kind of bringing it. <laughs> You're asking people to be very honest with themselves right now. This is yeah. going to be a tough one. Let's how many it. hours a day do you spend watching TV? How much was your TV? How much was your couch? How much is your Netflix and you know your Prime subscription? How much yeah. is the sound bar that you have for your TV if you have one of those? All of these things you have invested into your experience of relaxation while you watch TV. That's the money part. And then you have to find the shows. And then you might talk about the shows with your coworkers, your family, your friends. That's the energy part. You know, and then you're talking about you have your time. How much time are you spending watching TV? You are more committed to relaxing, numbing out, or just watching TV than you are to your fitness routine. Most of us are. Honestly, honestly, most of us are, probably myself included. But I think that that's a really good question to ask yourself is what is my commitment level to watching TV compared to exercise? And be real with yourself. Let me let me take that one more step. And because I've had this discussion with my mom multiple times, the same, the exact same person you just drew up there, right? We're spending more time uh, watching TV and resting than we are doing anything else or, or, or exercising at least. Yeah. And she goes, and I sleep terribly. Um, and I'm like, why do you think you sleep so bad? And she goes, I don't know. I'm restless. This and that. I just can't relax. And I'm like, you have no reason to be tired, right? Like you've done nothing to make yourself tired. So now you're going to go, well, majority of the day I relax and I rest and I sit down, but then I get up and I go make food and I eat the food and I come back and I sit down and then I go to the bathroom and I sit down and then I come back to the car and I sit down and I, and I sit, 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 sit. And then I'm exhausted from mentally doing all these things today, but physically you just kind of sat down a lot. So then you tell your body, Hey, we haven't done anything, which is kind of like a dormant mode. Let's go into a deeper dormant mode. You know, like it just, it's already kind of down all the time. So if you do something to spike it up, you'll sleep a hell of a lot better when you're like, yo, time to turn off the lights, like shut it off. I'm tired because I did, I gardened for a half an hour. I drug the trash cans up from the driveway. I went to the gym for 20 minutes and I played nine holes of golf. And you're like, dude, I'm exhausted. You're, yeah, you've earned your sleep, right? And so now the next morning you wake up bright eyed, bushy tailed and you're like, I'm ready to go and do this all over again because you had a reason to energize yourself and push and then recharge the battery and then up and then down. And so as opposed to your stagnant line of troubled sleep. So you're right. This is, this is the thing that's feeding us stuff that keeps us dormant. Right. And if we're able to kind of shut that off like we have, we have about an hour, maybe an hour and a half every night of family TV time. The rest of the time we are out doing stuff. We're constantly doing stuff. And that's just because we don't want screen time. Just like you were saying. It is, yeah. it is such an easy thing to get stuck to, you know, it is. they, I mean, they, they design it, they design it that way. Oh, yeah. They design everything the TV watching experience. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was a client or a story, but they had, they had like experienced the Amazon prime or Netflix thing where it kept going. Like, you know how one episode ends and then it starts again in like automatically. 10 uh -huh. And they just kept watching and they kept watching. And after like several hours, they're like, is this movie ever going to end? And, you know, they didn't realize that it wasn't a movie. A series. So, a series. so how about how about after like four episodes and it's like, are you still there? And then it shuts <laughs> off. Have you noticed that 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 option isn't there anymore? It just keeps rolling. 
not yeah, because I was like, well, at least that's at least it does ask you every once in a while, like, do you want to get off your ass now and be done watching this, or or you just gonna keep watching? And they're like, let's quit asking them. You know, it's like Vegas. Like, is it daylight or or who knows what time it is outside? You can't see any of that. Like, just keep watching TV. You know, to stay here. So you're right, man. It's it's so designed to just keep you there. And and that's this again part of the secret. What's the secret? Stop watching TV. Go out and exercise. You know, we all know or, that. Or think of like any New Year's resolution that people just set. Maybe it's like to keep a, a cleaner house. Are you more committed to sitting on your rear end at night for multiple hours, or are you more committed to keeping your house clean so you're less stressed out? Simple basics. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people they have this story that they tell themselves about how much energy it's going to take and how much time it's going to take, and it's like you probably spend as much energy trying to convince yourself to do it as you would if you just like did it. So sure. I think that's something else. Like consider the story that you're telling yourself and how much time you think, because even if you spend 10 minutes cleaning your house or 10 minutes exercising a day, get in the habit of doing it, get in the habit of being consistent. And just like your dad, you know, he really improved the step length. He was consistent with that before he increased the step length. He got it consistent first before he can progress. And I think a lot of people, they just want the end result. And it's like, well, you got to earn that. You have to earn the end result through daily, weekly, consistent practice. It doesn't just happen. So if you're out on a new year's resolution, I hope this conversation really gets you fired up to like Mm -hmm. be consistent, put it on your schedule. With the New Year's resolutions, a lot of people will take things away. Well, I'm not going to eat ice cream anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. Instead of doing that, this is my wife loves doing this with any of our clients. We just talk about adding something that's really good for you rather than taking stuff away. And what we've noticed is we'll add we'll add a healthy food and a healthy habit. And so it'll be like with every meal or every whatever we're going to do, we're going to add a healthy food to it. So you can have your regular, whatever you're going to have, just add something healthier to it, a vegetable or a fruit or your protein shake or whatever you're doing. And then on the habit is let's add in our 20 minute walks every day or my two 20 minute and don't make it so massive where it's unachievable. I'm going to work out 90 minutes, seven days a week for the first three months. Like no one's going to stick to that. Okay. But if you're just like, I'm going to do two 20 minute workouts a week and hopefully after a month, I'll be ready to do a little more. And if I just add that and add some healthy foods in, eventually you're going to start to see this process where you start to look forward to it and the foods that you're filling yourself up with, you're not really craving the sugaries and the desserts anymore. Like you start to add good. You kind of forget about some of the bad habits that you have without feeling like I have to take these away. I'm losing out on something that I like to do or I love to do. Just keep adding in positives. And the next thing you know, those other ones just kind of fall away. Yes. Now I wanted to ask you a question from one of my clients based on our last conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about the grace period. Um, you said that there's about a 12 week grace period. Like when someone's starting strength training, can you talk, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So the grace period there's, it's called the arthritic grace period, but you could really kind of use it as like the exercise grace period. Your body is going to adapt and everybody's body is different. So um, if you and I both have not been training and we're the same size and the same height and the same weight, everything's the same about us, Right. And as we start into our program, because of our genetic makeup and how our bodies were designed, after two weeks, I might not get sore anymore. And you still are, right? Even though we're doing the same weights and the same reps, everything's the same. My body's just adapting a little bit better than yours is. And so yours might adapt at week four, where mine was at week two, right? 
And then at those weeks, when we no longer feel anymore, then we can level things up again. And in two more weeks, I'm not sore anymore. And you got to do four more weeks. That's just the process at which your body works at. So that's the grace period, okay? Whatever we're talking about, adapting to exercise, growing calluses on our hands, overcoming arthritis in our shoulder, whatever it is, everybody's got this frame that's about two to 12 weeks. Now, I know that's a big window, but the research kind of showcases. Relatively to the rest of your life. So, so in this particular example of your friend, it's regarding arthritis. And let's, I don't know if you gave me a joint, but let's say her shoulder. Okay. Or what it's a, he, his shoulder. Well, her, it's her. her. I'm it's sorry. Her. Oh, I thought you said her knee. Okay. I thought you said it was a he, sorry. Sorry. Okay. So her knee. Okay. So, um, when she goes to do a squat or a lunge or something like that, her knee aches afterwards. Now we have to decide is the movement pattern that she's doing. Is it causing any damage? Is it painful when she does it? Or does it just ache a little bit afterwards, like a residual pain? If there's a little ache afterwards, this is the grace period occurring, and that's your arthritis getting a little flare-up. And if you can maintain that, if you can tolerate that, right? Don't don't progress it. Don't do any more reps. Don't do anything heavier. Just go like, this, I felt it, but I can handle it. And you just keep doing that. Your body will learn to adapt to that. There's a new imposed demand. The demand is eight lunges, okay? My body is going to specifically adapt to that. And slowly over time, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12 weeks, the knee is not going to ache as much. It's not going to flare up. My body is going to recognize and build some more muscle tissue and some fiber and add whatever else it's going to do into the knee to where that arthritic response isn't as bad. I'm not getting rid of the arthritis. You can't get rid of it. Your body can learn to tolerate it more. And that's what this grace period is, is it's introducing a new stimulus. We're doing eight lunges every other day or whatever the routine is. I better get used to this. And as long as you don't overdo it, you won't have a massive flare up. Your knee will just go, okay, it's, it's a little crappy. It's a little crappy. Not so crappy. Actually, I can handle this. I can do it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I want a new stimulus, right? And so maybe that's six weeks. Then you level it up. Let's do 12 reps now, or let's add a five pound weight. And the knee's like, whoa, here's my arthritis again, right? It comes back a little, then you keep doing that. And that process continues. That's called the said principle, specific adaptation to an imposed demand. And the best example of that are your calluses, right? You don't lift weights, your hands are baby soft and you start to lift weights and your hands start to get rough. Your hands are like, I don't like this, it hurts. So what do they do? They start to grow gloves. You literally start to grow more glove where the weights rub. And that's why we don't get calluses down here or up here, you get them where the weights sit in the middle of your hand. And so your body's like, hey, there's this new demand weights pushing on here and your body's like, I got this specific adaptation, more skin, more skin. And so it grows some skin. And now next thing you know, you have these sexy little calluses on your hands that you need to file every once in a while, or your wife doesn't hold your hand anymore. Right? So that's the kind of the process you go through, but this is the same thing with the muscle. The muscle is like, well, I, I can do this, but it's hard. And so it's like more fiber, more muscle fiber, more oxygenated blood flow, more increased range of motion. Right? And next thing you know, I need a new stimulus. And that just keeps happening. And eventually you get to a point where you can just do 20 or 30 lunges on each knee. Your arthritis doesn't flare up. We didn't heal you. Your body's just adapted to the idea of I'm going to do this on a regular basis, right? Like if, if people just went out for a walk 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and they were sore, that would mean that that's a new imposed demand. But if any activity always produced soreness, nobody would ever move because you would just always be hurting, right? So your body is adapted to something. We have a base level. And as you produce something new, some new stimulus, it's like, well, I got to grow to overcome this. 
And now here's my new normal and I'll grow to overcome that. And here's my new normal. And eventually you kind of get to a point where you're like, I can just walk whenever my knees don't hurt anymore. Cool. Now let's try to lunge. Let's try to do step-ups. Let's try to do hinges. Let's try to do squats. And eventually you can still exercise with arthritis. You can exercise with a torn labrum. You can exercise with almost any limitation that isn't structurally damage like a broken clavicle or a snapped fibula or your impinged hip like you can still work with it as best you can but you got some damage goods you know you got to fix that and then you can kind of rebuild again tangenting but you kind of get the idea your body will just need that time frame and i wish i could tell you like oh it's going to be six weeks or it's going to be two weeks you'll have to kind of figure it out as you go but doing that self-assessment every day. If you get done, your knee swells and you're constantly hurting. And I'm like, where's my medicine? You did way too much. That was a massive flare up. That was a 10. I need you to do like a four every day, you know? Like something where you're like, I got it. It's a little uncomfortable. I can handle it. And let's keep doing fours. And before you know it, the fours are ones and you need a new four. And we search for that. You work the lower half and you just keep baby stepping it and you'll get there. Not great. And a lot of times people might think, well, eight lunges, like whoop-de-doo, what's that going to do for me? And so they can't see the change instantaneously, but I love that callous example because you can see the the visible proof of your body adapting to the new stimulus. The same thing goes on around your joints and with your muscles. We just can't see it, but you can feel it over time if you're consistent. So Mm -hmm. last question for you really quick. How do you convince someone to work harder than they think they can? Yeah, the... The, the secret sauce is seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, seeing the carrot, like seeing that we're going to get you to this point. My best motivational tool for my clientele has been seeing someone else that either has the same limitation, it's in the same boat or in the, you know, the same um, stature that they are and they have achieved success. So if I can go to somebody and go, oh man, I'm sorry about your double hip replacement at 36. I had those too. And they're like, you had those two? And I'm like, yeah. And they go, well, show me what to do. And I'm like, cool, I got you. And then we can, you just need an example or a motivation or something where you're like, if that person can do it, I can do it too. And a lot of times um, you're 40 and someone that's 80 is like, what do you know? You know, they don't wanna, what do you know about it? Why are you telling all these old people to exercise? Because I've had the experiences personally, quite a few of them that a lot of older people have. So I've been able to dive into the research and get obsessed about that. But I've also had many opportunities with clients to go through this and see them succeed and practice with them and take them through this. So I have examples, you name it, knee, re- knee replacement, double knee replacement, cancer, um, th- three uh, chambered uh, heart failure, widowmaker, heart attacks, come back from death with chest compressions. And, you know, I mean, across the board, stroke, fail- heart failure, heart attack, uh, diabetes, limb loss. Um, I mean, just you name it, we've had the opportunity to work with people. And I say we, my wife and I are our team that we get to work with our clients. We've had an opportunity to work with folks that have gone through almost anything and everything that we can think of. And I can give you someone that you can go, if that person did it, I can do it. And a lot of times it's just knowing this is the, the line from my favorite movie, The Edge. Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, excuse me, and Alec Baldwin, and they're out in the woods, and their plane crashes, and they have to survive, and there's a grizzly bear that's after them. It's a great film in the 90s, okay, really good movie. 
And at the end, they go, we're going to kill the bear. And Alec Baldwin's like, you can't kill the bear. And he goes, we're going to kill the bear. What one man can do, another can do. And he goes, say it back to me. And he's like, we can't kill the bear. And he's like, we're going to do it. What one man can do, another can do. And he goes, okay, well, one man can do No, 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 say it again with conviction. And so you get people motivated. If that person can do it, I can do it. If one man can do it, I can do it. If that woman can do it, I can do it too. You just need to know that it's possible. And then once you go, okay, I'm motivated. Show me the way. Get the right coach. Get the right direction. Ask people for help. There's no shame in that. I don't know how to do my taxes, so I hire somebody and ask them to help me. I don't know how to fix my car. I ask somebody to help. You don't know how to get in shape. Everybody thinks they do. They don't. Ask somebody to help you. And if you need somebody in person, find somebody local. You can do this. There's nothing wrong with you, no matter what your limitation is. I've trained people in their beds. You can do this. You can. And I would love for you to just let us know where we can learn more about you. If you wanted to kind of talk about your 2A mini program, if anyone's listening in there that just to kind of wrap it up let us know how we can connect yeah. with you well for trainers coaches etc go to training that's our website there that's where we offer all of our courses we have toa select which is our menus we put up programming we have exercise libraries of everything we do all this anything and everything you need to do to work with a clientele of 50 and older with all the limitations we teach live courses we have recorded stuff we have drip system all this is great and then for general consumers, everybody else is trying to learn, go to our YouTube, just do my name, do Robert Linkle. There's 300 something videos on there. I just did one on foot care, how to, how to prevent uh, foot injuries and avoid gout as we kind of get older, as a couple of my clients have it right now. So I did a deep dive on that, we did that. How to prevent lower back pain, how to uh, get up off the floor properly, how to work your range of motion overhead so you can continue to comb your hair, like things that are, practical life experiences, but that we need to practice on a daily basis. How do I keep articulating my fingers and not get, you know, neuropathy in my hands, etc. We, we coach and train all those in little videos. As you can see, I'm not afraid to sit here and talk, right? So these videos, I, the camera never says cut. I just get to keep talking. And if you like it, it's on there. So I've got tons of videos. Feel free to pop on there and check it out. My social media, Instagram, Facebook, but uh, yeah, those are the best places to find us. I really appreciate you having me here. Thank you. And thank you all for the time and listening. I hope I hope you got some good takeaways and I'd love to come back anytime. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have another idea that you want to talk about, I realized during this conversation, like I know why I like this guy so much. It's rare that I find someone with equal passion as I do about what yeah. I do. And I can tell that like from your heart that you are so passionate about what you do. And I love that. And I just wanted to acknowledge that and appreciate that. Um, and appreciate all of the work that you've done to build TOA and to share the message. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. It was just great to connect with you again. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words. It's very sweet. And I do like to see someone that has a, um, that is able to mirror that same. And I know exactly what you mean. So keep up the good work uh, as well. Thank you again for having me. And I love and appreciate everybody. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. To learn more about Zivli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention, check out our website at www.zivli.com. That's Z-I-V-L-I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.